if our elections can be decided by anybody or by an enemy state, then we no longer control our own country. We no longer control our democracy. We are not a democracy. And this should be of concern to every single patriot in this country. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. We've got a jam-packed show for you this week. Uh, we got some news to start off. Google's got themselves a new backup service I'm going to tell you about. Microsoft has announced some new Windows anti-ransomware features that are very interesting. Verizon somehow managed to leave 14 million customer records sitting out on the Internet without protection. And, hey, do you need a copy of your key? There's an app for that. Uh, a little bit later, I'll be telling you how to win a free copy of my book, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, and how to get 10% off on your next domain name order. And then we have a fantastic interview with Barbara Simons from VerifiedVoting.org, who's going to answer all sorts of very interesting questions for us about election integrity. What could be more essential to democracy than voting? What sort of tampering could really be required to swing a national election in the United States? Are we ready to handle voter tampering if we discover after the fact that an election was rigged? What does the Constitution say about that? Is it safe to vote online? And why are all our voting machines so different all across the country? We'll talk about that and much, much more. But before we get to that interview, let's talk about a couple news items here. Uh, so Google has announced a new backup service. It's actually just a kind of a combination between two apps that they already have called Google Drive and Google Photos. You may already be using those. Google Drive. Uh, is sort of a special folder you set up. It's kind of like Dropbox. You set up a folder that anything you put in that folder gets synchronized up to the cloud uh, and also to any other devices you have that are running, that's running that same app. So, you know, you can share these files easily across multiple devices. Uh, and it's generally one folder that you designate for these files. And then there's Google Photos, which takes all your photographs and does basically the same thing, uploads them to the internet so that you can get to them from anywhere, any of your devices. So this new app called Google Backup and Sync is basically combining those things together. They do similar things anyway, and Google just finally figured, well, let's just put them all together. But one of the cool things about this uh, new combined app is you can actually designate any folder on your computer as something you want to back up. So really, it's kind of becoming a full tilt backup solution for your computer. And while this is certainly better than nothing, I would strongly recommend you look at something else like Crash Plan or Carbonite, something that's actually built specifically to back up your files off-site. For no other reason than most of these other plans are actually much cheaper than Google's. Google still charges you uh, for how much storage you have on your Google Drive, and most of the other dedicated backup solutions are unlimited at this point. Microsoft has announced a new Windows feature that's basically an anti-ransomware feature, which is much, much needed these days. And we'll be seeing, I'm sure, more solutions like this coming from, from the likes of Microsoft and Apple as ransomware really becomes quite the scourge. And what we really need is we need to find some way to protect our files. And this particular feature is called Controlled Folder Access. It'll be coming into a Windows update, uh, I believe, this fall, uh, part of Windows Defender. And basically what it says is that only approved applications can modify files in protected folders. And some folders, like the Documents folder, will uh, automatically be protected. And basically what this means is it's whitelisting the, the applications that will be allowed to modify those files. So what that should mean is that if you do somehow get a piece of malware on your system that tries to go and scramble all your files or hold them for ransom, that it won't be able to modify those files without at least explicitly asking you permission, at which point you will, of course, say no. 
Now, of course, malware is pretty smart too. So sometimes these folks will come up with software that works around these features or gets uh, elevated privileges or somehow pretends to use one of the approved apps. And we'll see how good this actually ends up being. But it's a definitely a step in the right direction. And I'm looking forward to uh, reviewing that when it comes out later. Now, in some worse news for the week, it somehow appears that Verizon let 14 million customer data records sit out on the internet for about nine days with absolutely no protection. It wasn't Verizon actually directly. It was a third-party partner of theirs called Nice Systems that was, I guess, looking at at some customer service experiences uh, with that the people had had over about a six-month period. Nevertheless, 14 million is about 10% of all U.S. customers, so it's a lot of people. Uh, these customer records had their customer names, mobile number, account PIN, uh, home address, email address, their current Verizon account balance, and something about their frustration level. So I'm sure that that was probably high for most people. We all hate calling into these service places anyway. So anyway, they were doing some sort of a some sort of a study on on services, but unfortunately, whoever was doing this left them sitting out on some cloud drive in the internet without any protection whatsoever. Hard to say what may have gotten taken at this point. I haven't seen any hard data on that, but the main thing is you should definitely go and change your Verizon PIN uh, just to be safe. If they haven't notified you already, I would still just do it. It's very easy to do. Uh, I've got a link in the show notes on the website. You can go check that out uh, or just search on Verizon PIN change and you'll find it. And finally, have you ever needed to make a copy of a key? Well, there's an app for that. Turns out there's a new service called KeyMe, uh, website key.me, where you can take a picture of the front and back of one of your keys, and they will ship you a copy of that key. And while that may be convenient for your own keys, you got to start wondering at this point, hey, can I borrow your keys? <laughs> yeah, so it's just that much easier to to copy someone's keys. Actually, this isn't the first time we've run into this. If you uh, may remember back in 2014, the Washington Post briefly ran a story. Well, they ran a story briefly with the picture on it of all the TSA approved keys for TSA locks uh, on your luggage. And they didn't fuzz the picture. And so (laughs) basically the bad guys immediately took that took that picture and started copying those keys because you can copy a key just from the picture. Um, so not the first time this has happened, but it's getting to the point folks where you really got to keep an eye, (laughs) keep an eye on your stuff. So speaking of key.me, how cool of a name is that for a website? Have you ever had a great idea for a website or have you ever just wanted to have a custom email address that you can keep forever? No changing it back and forth whenever you change your internet service provider or when some free email service comes and goes. You can do that. All you'd have to do is register the domain name that comes with that. So hover.com is the place you want to go. They've got you covered. Not only do they have the standard kind of, you know, .net, .com things, but they've got 400 different domain extensions. Uh, you can get .design, .tech, even .ninja. You can, you can find anything. If you've got a great idea for that killer domain name, head on over to hover.com and search for that name. Get that name locked down to yourself. And uh, you can use a tool they have called Hover Connect, which you all set up in just a few clicks. But if for some reason that doesn't do it for you and you do need to talk to a human being, just call. Uh, someone will actually pick up the phone. I've done it myself. It's unbelievable. You call. It, it's like you're just calling your friend because there's no stupid recording saying, all our menu options have changed. Please pay attention. And walks you through all, you know, all these different things that are basically designed not to get you to a human being. Not at Hover.com. These guys are all about service. They do one thing and they do it well, and that is domain names. So give these guys a look. And if you go to uh, right now, if you go to Hover.com slash firewalls, 
Uh, tell them I sent you, basically. You'll get 10% off your first order. So you can't beat that. Hover.com slash firewalls, uh, 10% off your order. And later on the show, I'll tell you how you can have a chance to win a free copy of my book, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, with over 100 tips on how to protect your computer and your online privacy. You just have to send me your horror stories. Uh, but before then, we are going to talk to Barbara Simons. She's the current president of VerifiedVoting.org. Nothing more important to democracy folks than voting. And yet, there's so many things that we're not doing correctly and that we, re- that we really have got to fix. She's going to tell us all about it. We're a new breed of talk radio with a new breed of host and shows to entertain and inform you. It's America Out Loud Talk Radio. Shows that impact your health, honor our heroes, political talk. Shows that inspire you to live a truly authentic life. You can hear your favorite shows on networks like iHeartRadio or AHA Radio. Or just download our free apps on both Android and Apple. But we are proud to have you as one of our growing family of listeners. We are the vision of the voices americaoutloud.com Well, looking good and feeling good are not exactly the same thing. It's just like a car. It may look good from the outside, but what's the inside look like? More importantly than that, what's the inside of your cells look like? That's a question you need to ask yourself. Well, when I started taking Healthy Cell just a few months ago, it has changed my program. I mean, it's boosted my energy. I sleep better, sharper focus, I feel healthier, and hopefully we'll all live longer with improved cells. Well, 90-plus nutrients infused into every cell of your body. Well, this is an exclusive offer for Friends of America Out Loud. You can try it today free. When I say free, I mean free. It's our Healthy Cell Pro 7-Day Sample. Free shipping, no risk, no obligation, no credit card required. So this is a complimentary gift from America Out Loud. You can go to HealthyCell.com forward slash Out Loud Sample or just go to AmericaOutloud.com and click the large banner ad and our complimentary gift will be on its way to your home. And as promised, it is my distinct honor and pleasure to speak today with Barbara Simons. She's currently on the board of directors for VerifiedVoting.org, and she was a past president of the Association of Computing Machinery, among many other things. Welcome. Uh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. And, you know, what a great time to be talking about this topic. It's with all the uh, things going on in the news <laughs> around our previous election. Uh, this is actually, these have actually been issues for quite a while. It just seems to have come to, a, come to a head this year. So there's really hardly anything more fundamental uh, to a democracy than voting. Uh, and yet our country you know, has a mishmash of voting systems. Uh, they're often difficult to use. Uh, in many cases, they are incapable of being audited. So... You know, how did we how did we get here? Obviously, voting was much, much different back in the days when the Constitution was written. Uh, but it seems like we haven't made in some cases a lot of progress. How, how do we get where we are today with the voting systems that we have? And uh, what is the current state of voting in the U.S.? So how did we get here? Well, you can blame Florida and uh, not only Florida 2000, but Florida 2002, because they had problems in their midterms then as well as 2000. And that resulted in Congress passing the Help America Vote Act which provided almost $4 billion, with a B, dollars to modernize our voting equipment and to many people modernization meant having computers. 
And uh, and so a number of uh, voting system vendors came out with new voting machines, some of which actually had already been on the market. And they, they started marketing them as this, the newest and greatest uh, voting system. You just push a button at the end of the day, you get the results. Uh, it's completely secure, completely accurate. You go home, everything is done. Uh, unfortunately, um, as, uh, as anyone who's done any kind of programming knows, uh, these systems, which were computerized, have software in them, and that software could have software bugs or even conceivably uh, hidden malicious software that could uh, rig an election. Um, and these early machines, a great many of them were paperless. Uh, again, the claim was they're completely secure, just trust us. And in fact, there was even some um, what they were calling federal certification uh, which was uh, very, very weak. It's since gotten somewhat better, but it's still inadequate. Uh, that um, uh, that that it's it's actually voluntary. Uh, but the the vendors would say, look, well, these are federally certified, as if that meant that they were completely okay. And of course, a lot of people believed them, both because they were good salesmen and because people liked this idea of pushing a button and going home at the end of the day. Especially overworked, underfunded election officials liked it. And there was all this federal money available. So there was a gold mentality. Lots of these machines were purchased before there were any kind of decent standards, before uh, there had been any kind of independent examination of them because the federal standards were really inadequate. And, um, and many of these machines are still in use today, uh, even though they have ancient computers in them and ancient software. And in many cases should long ago have been consigned to uh, the recycle heap. So let's yeah. So let's back up a little bit. And so Florida, the, of course, the what we all remember there were the hanging chads and all the weird punch uh, punch card ballots that were. You know, I've looked at some of these myself, and they're they're really kind of a confusing to figure out that you're actually voting for what you think you're voting for. You got to follow these kind of lines to the middle of the page, and and of course, as we know, there were some people didn't push their chads all the way. Through. I didn't. No one knew what chads were. I don't think until that until that election rolled around. So. Why? Why do we have some of these so many different standards? Why is why is there not, especially after that debacle, why do we not have a single standard for the for the U.S.? What what did have a have in it the the HA, the Help America Vote Act? What what was actually in that in terms of standards? Was it was it just very loose or did it did it fall short of what it needed to do? And there was a commission associated with that as well, right? That was supposed to review the results. So the Help America Vote Act created the Election Assistance Commission. And the Election Assistance Commission was charged with overseeing these machines and with, which also was developing standards in conjunction with National Institute for Standards and Technology. However, the money was made available for, before there were any decent standards. And the machines were being sold before there were any decent standards. Uh, so, um, you know, this, this, this was just really a very bad way to have been doing things and we're still suffering the results. So there are, so there are now more standards in place and, and I guess the, the, the machines that have been bought to date are just grandfathered in? The standards have been improved, but they're still inadequate. And, uh, and there's no way really you can come up with standards for paperless machines. You simply cannot because um, you can't, it doesn't matter how much you look at the software, that you, you don't know necessarily what software is being run on election day. And in fact, uh, again, as anyone who's written software knows, you can look at the software all you want and you may not find things that are there. I mean, if it were easy to do that, Microsoft and Apple would never be, wouldn't have to send out periodic bug fixes because they would just look at the software and make sure it was okay. 
it's a very hard problem and it's a hard problem in voting machines too. So, so the answer is that the standards are inadequate to begin with. And even though they've been improved, the machines that are used, being used today, uh, many of them are um, so-called certified to old standards. And even, as I say, the new standards are not adequate. So what, so what are the most common systems in use today? You've got a really nice graph up on verifiedvoting.org that kind of breaks down um, at, a, at a state level the various types of systems that we have. But explain to our listeners a little bit of, of what kind of a mishmash of systems we have out there, which ones are good, which ones are bad, and why there's, why there's such a wide range of standards. Well, it's not that there's a wide range of standards so much. I mean, that there's one set of standard, well, standards from different eras. They're, they're different standards, but um, they, they apply uniformly to all the machines. Uh, the, but there are different kinds of machines, as you point out. Uh, the ones that are um, used most widely are paper ballots that are tabulated by optical scan machines. That's what we use, for example, in California, where I live. Um, the oldest machines are what's called direct recording electronic or DRE machines. And the idea of these DRE machines is that these are what typically the, the touchscreen machines that you've often seen pictures of where they show people touching the screen and that um, for one candidate and it jumps to another. These, these machines present the ballot. The voter is supposed to basically uh, um, register his or her choice on the machine itself, on the screen. The machine is supposed to record those results and then they typically tabulate them as well. So everything is done inside the machine. So the memory of the machine contains the ballots, the electronic version of the ballots, and then you also have this tabulation going on. So um, there are many problems with this. I just referred to the, uh, the frequently observed problem where people will try to vote for candidate e A and candidate B will light up. That typically is because the machines have not been properly calibrated or they've gone out of calibration. Uh, and this is one of the many symptoms of the fact that these machines were badly engineered because this sort of system never should have been used in the first place. Uh, I mean, it's possible that there's malware that's that's counting the wrong candidate. But frankly, if I were going to rig these machines, I wouldn't bother with the screen because I can have the screen show anything I want it to show. The dangerous part is the software inside the machines that could change the vote. In other words, your screen is separate from the memory. So there are different components in a computer. So the screen is one component. The screen can show whatever, I, I mean, if I'm a bad guy, I can have the screen show whatever I want it to show, assuming you don't have a calibration problem, of course. And uh, I can record something quite differently, different in the memory or, you know, when it's tabulated. And that's the problem. The problem is just because the, the screen shows the right thing does not mean that the right thing is being recorded by the machine. That's why these machines are so so bad to use in the first place. They never should have, they never should have been used for voting. I mean, it was just a terrible decision. Would, did they did they get the green light for these things? Do you think it was basically a financial thing? I know Diebold got in a lot of trouble, or a lot of people were pointing the fingers at them for some of these for them, some of these systems and not opening these things up for third party review. And you know, was it just a a typical U.S. capitalist thing where somebody wanted to make the money and therefore it kind of happened? Well, all of these systems are. Um, done by private companies, and they do prevent independent experts from examining them whenever they can. So, so uh, that is something which 
uh, many of us feel is inappropriate. Something so important as voting should be open source. It should be available for anybody to, to view. However, simply making them open source does not solve the problem. And even with um, having uh, restricted access to the software, we know how to make secure voting systems. We know we know what needs to be done to prevent hacking by Russians or by anybody else. We have a solution, and the issue now is to get what needs to be done throughout the country. And um, actually, that's something which I'm personally and our organization have, have pledged to do. We need to fix these machines before the next major presidential election. And in fact, I'd like to get some states repaired because they're using awful systems uh, before the midterms. We know what to do. And we need to get rid of all these touchscreen machines. They need to go. So explain to us then, what is it we need to do? What is the what is the ideal voting system? What is it we're not doing that we should be doing? So explain to us then, what is it we need to do? What is the what is the ideal voting system? What is it we're not doing that we should be doing? What we need are paper ballots. And again, that's what's used by the majority of the states now, fortunately. We need paper ballots. As I say, they can be tabulated by a computerized system, which is these optical scans, but then you have to check the computer. I mean, if there's one message that your that your listeners take away from this, it's that you cannot trust computers in voting or anywhere else for that matter, but especially in voting where the stakes are so high and where just a simple honest mistake could change some significant results, let alone uh, malicious behavior. So we can have computers that tabulate these, these, these ballots, but then we have to check those computers. And the way we have to check those computers is by the, the smartest way to check the computers is by using statistics, using, using science and doing something we call the risk limiting audit, which just randomly selects a number of ballots and checks to make sure that what the machine is saying is correct when you've got the ballot in your hand and you can look at the ballot and check it against the machine. So uh, it's the nice thing about using using statistics to do this is that in general, you can minimize the amount of time and the number of ballots you have to look at, assuming things are, are okay. Now, if you start finding problems, what you're going to be doing is expanding the number of ballots you look at. Because whenever you find a problem, that's, I mean, that could be an issue, depending on how many you find and how close the race is. What I'm saying is what we need are paper ballots. They can be manually counted. That's fine. Or they can be counted by computerized systems. But then we must, we must, must, must check those computerized systems. We simply cannot trust computers with something so important as our votes. We must make sure that they're correct. Absolutely. And so... Would this would these risk limiting audits would these be automatic every time or or only in certain cases like the race is close enough to to merit it or for some reason the results are coming back different from the popular polls or that uh, how how would we trigger these audits? They have to be mandatory, and if they're not mandatory, in many cases they won't happen. Uh, as we saw with the 2016 recount, although in theory uh, one at least in some states you could do a recount. In practice, what happens is that there tends to be a lot of opposition by the candidate who uh, was declared the winner. So we can't allow that sort of, and we also can't make it the responsibility of the candidate to request a recount because, or, or, or an audit, because it's in the interest of everybody, of all the citizens, to make sure that our results uh, are accurate and correct. So what we need are mandatory, mandatory by law, 
post-election manual ballot audits that are conducted before the results are finalized. So if a problem is discovered, you can take the appropriate actions. And it has to be done in every election, certainly in every major election, no matter how close or far apart the, the results are. Uh, for two, Well, there are two, two aspects to this. One is, if the results are very far apart, then you typically are not going to have to look at many ballots. Uh, the reason for this is you'd have to change a whole lot of them to flip the results. And so even if you're just looking at a small number of randomly selected ballots, given that so many would have to be wrong, you, you're, there's a very high likelihood that you'll find some of the wrong ballots and that'll expand the, uh, the examination. Um, so so that's, that's one reason why you have to do it. Of course, another reason is that if I'm a bad guy and I know that you're not going to look at the ballots if the spread is more than 5%, I'll make sure it's more than 5%, right? I mean, that stands to reason. Um, the, the, so the good news is if the results are far apart, these audits should be done pretty quickly and they won't take a lot of time. Where it gets interesting, of course, is where the race is close. And, and then um, you're going to have to look at a lot more ballots. And in some cases, you're going to have to do a full manual recount. But in, in fact, if the race is very close, that's really what you want to do because you want to check to make sure the results are right. So it sounds like these are the, these are very common sense things that honestly should have been in the uh, HAV Act in the first place. Were these things not in there? Were they not implemented properly? Were they was there too much vagueness or looseness in the enforcement of this, or did we just fall short? Do we need do we do we need a constitutional amendment? There's nothing more fundamental to a democracy like than how you vote and how you count those votes. So what are laws sufficient? Do we need to improve the the Hava Act? What do we need to do here? Well, the Help America Vote Act was. Um was a political, I mean, you know, it was passed by Congress, so obviously there were politics involved. And it was passed at a time when there weren't many computer scientists paying attention to this, quite frankly, and when there hadn't been a lot of thought that went into exactly what is it that we need to do. This notion of uh, post-election uh, manual audits, risk-limiting audits, uh, the statistical part of it was only developed a few years ago by um, the then chair of the statistics department at UC Berkeley, he's now an associate dean at Berkeley, named Philip Stark. And he's the first statistician to actually look at this problem and say, well, how many do you really need to look at? I mean, for example, in California, there's been a law in the book since 1965, believe it or not, that requires a 1% manual recount after every election, which is, you know, which was way ahead of its time. But in many cases, it's too many to look at. In some cases, it's too few. And of course, when California first got these paperless voting machines, one of the jokes was that at the end of the day, they would print out copies of the ballots from the machine and then do a manual recant on that, which was totally meaningless <laughs> because, of course, it didn't check whether or not the machine was correct to begin with. So that's how, I mean, fortunately, we've gotten rid of those machines in California. You said that most of our ballots today are paper ballots. What percentage of our ballots are not auditable, and how many of those are in swing states? Good question. Almost a quarter of Americans vote on unauditable machines still, which I consider to be a national scandal. And there are five states that are totally paperless, and there are another nine states that are partially paperless. And you have um, swing states in both cases. Uh, in terms of the partially paperless ones, Pennsylvania is one of the worst. 80% of the voters in Pennsylvania are voting on really ancient machines, uh, paperless machines, that should have been gotten rid of a long time ago. In Virginia, which is another swing state, uh, there's been a move towards paper ballots, but there's still a part of the state that is paperless and uh, a significantly large enough part of the state that it could swing results in Virginia. 
Georgia is completely paperless. And I have to say, I was following the Ossoff Handel campaign um, with a bit of, well, I was kind of aghast at all the money that was being spent on that campaign, given that they were going to be voting on paperless, default touchscreen machines, DREs, that uh, we've known how to hack since 2006. And, and worse than that, these machines were being maintained by a uh, school in Georgia called Kennesaw State University. It's a small college, basically. Since 2002, they've been maintaining all of the voting, well, roughly 2002, it may have been a little later, I'm not sure, but early on, they've been maintaining all of the voting machines, and they're all debold paperless machines in Georgia, and they've been programming them for every single election. And of course, these machines, these machines are getting really, really old, and they're having major problems. Well, they're having problems with hardware and software. So this was all the job of Kennesaw State University's election center. Uh, a few months ago, a security researcher discovered that there was a major vulnerability in the election center, that he could get, get in there and download large numbers of files. He could get lots of information that would be very useful if he wanted to rig an election. Um, this was not patched right away, even though he told them about it, because a few months later, a colleague found that he could still get in. Uh, and this was happening. This all happened before this uh, this huge runoff. This 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 campaign for District Six in Georgia. We don't know how long this vulnerability has been there. It could have been years. We don't know. So this so fifty million dollars was spent on the Georgia Six race to hold it on some of the most insecure machines in the country uh, that have been maintained by a an institution that itself could have been hacked. So how do we, is there any way to know, and it sounds like you're saying no, but I know that in many cases with computer hacking, there are some forensics you can do on these machines or uh, some techniques you can use to see if anybody has access that they shouldn't have accessed. Is there, is there any way to know on some of these machines with no paper trail if they have been hacked and do, are there any audits uh, to look for those sorts of things, especially in close races? There are things one can do which are far from perfect. So you could try doing a forensic examination of the machine to see if you can find something suspicious uh, uh, in the software or in, um, you know, who's been having, who's accessed it and so on. Um, these tend to be somewhat time consuming and difficult, and there's no guarantee that they would turn up anything if something had happened. They may, I mean, if they turn up something, you know there was a problem, but if they don't turn up something, you don't know that there wasn't a problem. Uh, I mean, there's you could even have the phenomenon uh, of somebody installing malware in a machine that after the election erases itself. I mean, that's something that computer scientists, you know, the programmers know how to do. So uh, I'm not saying that that would have happened. Uh, all I'm saying is that, I mean, I would have liked to have seen a forensic analysis of the machines in Georgia. I think that should have been done. Although, in fact, I think they shouldn't have been used at all. And the fact that they were used in the um, in the runoff was was particularly egregious because there were only two candidates running in one race in one district, it very easily could have been done on paper ballots, manually counted even. And the Georgia Secretary of State chose not to do that. So depending on who you talk to today, and like so many issues in this in this country, unfortunately, we either have no voter fraud or rampant voter fraud. Uh, which is it? And how do we and how do we convince somebody of that fact? One of the great frustrations that we've had, uh, those of us who've been working on this issue frequently for over a decade and report this is especially true with reporters but it's true with others as well 
with politicians. They say, well, you know, give us an example of voter fraud, uh, not voter fraud, of voting machine fraud, right? And uh, so we can see how bad things are. And the trouble is, if you've got a paperless system, I mean, the beauty of it from the perspective of a bad guy is that you can't prove anything. So, I mean, we don't know if any races in Georgia were ever uh, rigged or even just wrongly reported because of software bugs. We don't know because since they've had these deep old paperless machines, it's been impossible to tell. Uh, and that goes back all the way to the Cleveland, uh, the Max Cleveland race where, where Senator Cleveland was ahead in the polls and lost. And did he lose legitimately or did he lose because of software bugs? We don't, or because of malware, we don't know. We do know that there were last minute changes being made to the software before that election that no, no independent outside uh, expert has ever examined. And of course, these days, that's long gone. You can't examine it. So uh, the question is, is there rampant fraud? The answer is, I have no idea if there's no fraud at all, or if there's widespread fraud, or if there's occasional fraud, because we can't prove it. And even with paper ballots, because again, we saw this in the 2016 race, even where there are paper ballots, like in Michigan, if you don't look at those paper ballots, if you don't do a post-election ballot audit or a full recount, you don't know if the results that were reported from those paper ballots by the computerized scanners that counted them were correct or not. So simply having paper and then not doing a check afterwards, you might as well not have the paper. Sure. So I know, when, uh, and I think it's important to draw the distinction on, on the different types of voter fraud. So we've been, so far, we've been discussing yeah, monkeying with the machines themselves with arguably is probably the best way to have a, a massive impact on, a, on, a, on an election. The one that seems to get the most attention, however, is in-person voter fraud and the whole rationale behind making sure that people have an ID before they vote. And, and that seems to be the hot, but, hot button issue around voter fraud. And what I think a lot of people miss is that in-person voter fraud is so much harder to pull off and the consequences are so much higher and the impact is so much lower. And yet that's the one we seem to be, to be most focused on because one party in this country believes it's rampant and therefore we must ID everybody who comes to, uh, comes to vote. And the other party believes that there is, that, that almost doesn't exist, that it almost never happens in there. And that by requiring an ID, we're actually alienating or disenfranchising sections of the, uh, the electorate. Um, where do you come down on that? Well, verified voting doesn't take a position on voter ID. However, uh, if I were going to rig an election, I certainly would work, you know, I would, I would attack the machines or the tabulators or one of the small number of entities that program and maintain these machines that frequently don't have good, soft, good security. Uh, you can have a much bigger bang for the buck, if you will, by doing that because you can make wholesale, have a wholesale impact. The difference between that and the notion of somebody fraudulently voting in person or even by mail um, is uh, is a difference between wholesale and retail. And of course, fraudulently voting in person not only is, is it only a single vote, but if any, but you know you run the risk of being arrested for committing uh, you know a uh, felony. Uh, I, I certainly can't imagine that undocumented immigrants, for example, would be going to the polls to vote illegally when the last thing they want to do is to be identified and arrested. Uh, on the other hand, I can certainly imagine somebody in some country outside of the United States where this individual is well beyond the reach of U.S. law uh, being hired to um, rig elections in the United States because, in fact, 
you can at attack these machines over the internet through some of the means that I, I think I mentioned, and I can go into greater detail if you want. Do we have any inkling to believe that that the influence they had was with the voting machines themselves? Was it really more, uh, was it more a matter of, I've heard um, news reports about uh, voting rolls being, uh, voting roll systems being accessed, but maybe not tampered with. Uh, and then there's, of course, the other aspect of this, which is, and I would think a lot of people miss, is that even if they didn't directly tamper with the election, just making, you know, attacking the, the legitimacy uh, of the election can have huge impacts. We don't know if anybody attacked the voting machines themselves because we have not done adequate um, investigation. So uh, I know that a lot of people are saying the, machine, the machines are completely safe, nothing happened, but they're saying this without having done you know, a proper investigation. In cases where there's paper, they could go back and do a post-election ballot audit to check and where there isn't paper, you have to do a forensic analysis, which, as I already said, is um, you know not a very satisfactory uh, approach and may not find problems even if they're there. Uh, so, so the bottom line is we don't know. We don't know. We do know that the Russians did attack uh, some voter registration databases. We do know that there's a vendor who produces voter registration databases in Florida that was attacked, and we also do know that this vendor provided the um, the e-poll books and I, I believe, the, you know, basically the, the database for Durham, North Carolina, and they had major problems uh, on election day in Durham, which is a Democratic stronghold. And a lot of people basically, I think, were turned away from the polls because they weren't ready to take them. And um, and so was that a result of Russian hacking? I don't know. Nobody has really checked. I mean, it would be interesting to do an analysis of, for example, how many people had to file provisional ballots because they were sent to the wrong address when they should have been sent to the right address. Um, and to see if there were maybe, if somebody got in there and messed with the addresses, that would be a good way to disenfranchise voters. I mean, we just don't know. And the examinations are not being done. Why is it, do you believe, in this country that for whatever reason there seems to be resistance to fixing these problems? I, it just seems like this should be a completely Nonpartisan issue. You're listening to the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. It's where we say, let the silent voices be heard. You'll find a whole host of shows and a great lineup back at AmericaOutloud.com. And also, get the apps. We now stream 24 7 on Android and Apple. Just look for America Out Loud Talk Radio. Why is it, do you believe, in this country that for whatever reason there seems to be resistance to fixing these problems? I, it just seems like this should be a completely nonpartisan issue. Well, there, I think there are a number of factors. One is, if I've been elected, I don't want to think that there could have been a problem with my election. Right. So I'm less likely to be leery or suspicious of the machines if, hey, I won. So, you know, don't don't expect me to be worried about the results. Obviously, they're correct. Um, I think that's one factor. Uh, a second is, um, I mean, obviously, we are not set up to deal with election fraud in the United States. We are not set up to deal with what happens if it turns out that an election has been held and then we discover that 
maybe the wrong person was was declared the winner. We don't have a provision for that. And, um, you know, and so I think some people, even people who were supporters of the losers, might be a little bit nervous about the impact that could have, especially at a high level. I mean, suppose, for example, that it turned out that, that we had evidence that the presidential election uh, could have been uh, rigged. I'm, I'm not saying it was. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, suppose we had that evidence. Uh, suppose we had reason to believe that, in fact, the wrong person had been declared the winner. What would happen? I mean, it would be a constitutional crisis. And um, it would certainly result in a huge amount of dissension. I don't know what the outcome would be. But I can imagine people saying, look, we just can't go there. I mean, you know, I'm not saying I'm not defending that either way. I'm, I'm just saying I think that this is, is a factor. Uh, that's why it's really critical. It's really, really critical that we make sure that our elections are resilient, accurate, secure. We have to fix this because, as you say, it's possible that nothing happened, but there was all of this probing and poking and trying to break into places that did happen. And that simply cast a shadow or pallor over the results of the election so that anybody who was elected was under a cloud. And it also puts our democracy under a cloud and it makes people cynical. It makes people less inclined to want to vote. It just has all kinds of negative uh, side effects. So um, rather than going around, as some people have been doing and saying the, the machines were completely secure, they couldn't have been attacked because they weren't connected to the Internet or there were so many different places, different kinds of machines, nobody could have fixed, violated them all or attacked them all. And by the way, that's such a bogus argument because we have an electoral college. And if you're talking about the presidency, you only have to attack a few states and a few swing states and a few swing districts in those states. So in fact, it doesn't matter how many different kinds of machines there are, it's still an issue. I mean, it's, it's not an issue. It's, you don't have to attack many to swing a national election. And that's a key point. But you know, People going around saying they couldn't have been attacked because of all these reasons, because they weren't connected to the Internet, so many different kinds of systems. Well, rather than trying to create a false sense of, co of confidence in the, in the results, rather than misleading voters about how insecure our systems are, let's be honest. Let's talk about their vulnerabilities and let's fix them. I mean, I could see not wanting to talk about the vulnerabilities if we didn't know how to fix them. But the fact is we do. What we need are paper ballots and we need manual post-election ballot audits. So let's be honest. Let's talk about the, what the real problems are. Let's be open and direct about them and let's fix them. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So tell me a little bit about what your organization is doing uh, and what could we as citizens do to help you out in doing what you're doing and to, to participate in the fixing this uh Serious issue. Verified voting has been fighting internet voting, and we've been fighting insecure forms of voting machines. Uh, we things would be bad as things are now; they'd be a lot worse without verified voting. I mean, verified voting has, I think we can, I think it's fair to say we can take credit for a lot of the move to paper ballots because we have been very actively pushing paper ballots. We've been working at the state level as well as the federal level to make sure that uh, states do move to paper ballots. Uh, whenever a state is about to get a new system, we're in there telling them you've got to get paper ballots. So we've been, uh, I think, very effective in moving the nation in that direction. The problem is that we still have 14 states that have paperless machines. We've also been effective at preventing Internet voting from spreading even more than it already has. Um, 
Uh, I'm pleased to say that Alaska, which um, has been allowing any citizen to vote over the Internet, uh, that they are not going to be allowing that in 2018, uh, in part because of conversations we've been having with them. So I think Washington, I'm not sure about Washington State, if they are going to allow citizens to vote, any citizens to vote over the Internet or not. Hopefully they won't. Anyone who lives in Washington, please contact your secretary of state and tell them not to do that. Um, and we've prevented the spread of Internet voting to other states where they've been, there's been legislation that's come before state legislatures, uh, even in California, I should add. We've had to fight in California for Internet voting. Uh, we've, so, so as I say, the problem would be a lot worse if it weren't for us. But, but we're a small organization. We need more in the way of resources. We are hoping to uh, initiate a massive campaign, national campaign, to fix our voting systems by 2020 and to um, ideally fix, by fix I mean repair, not fix in the, you know, the mafia way, but repair our voting systems uh, in at least a few of the key swing states by 2018. I mean, I think Comey was right when he said they'll be back in 2018, they'll be back in 2020. There are even important elections in 2017. The governors of New Jersey, and Virginia are being elected in 2017. Uh, who knows what's going to happen in those races? Uh, uh, New Jersey's entirely paperless, and Virginia still has paperless voting machines. That shouldn't be. We should. They should be repaired. Uh, you know, one of the issues is is money because when Help America Vote Act was passed, almost four billion dollars was was provided. We need to get money. This is a national security issue. We need to get. I mean, if nothing else, we need to get national security money to pay for this because, as you have said, our elections, are, I mean, they're, they're, they're vital to our democracy. If our elections can be decided by anybody or by an enemy state, then we no longer control our own country. We no longer control our democracy. We are not a democracy. And this should be of concern to every single patriot in this country. So how, how do we support your efforts as, as listeners of this podcast? What, what what can they do to support your efforts? Can they donate directly? Absolutely. So you can go to verifiedvoting.org and there's a donate button uh, on the top screen somewhere. Click on that and then it'll show you how to donate to our C3 or our C4 or if you want to send in a check where to send it to. And we, we very much appreciate um, every donation we get because this is an important fight for all of us. There, you People there can also subscribe to a a news feed that we have where we we assemble uh, daily articles about voting if they just want to keep informed about just the general news on on voting related issues uh, it's it's a it's a it's a good source of information one other thing we have on our website that people might find interesting is something called the verifier again there's a button on the top you can click on that and you can see which states uh, have which kinds of voting technologies so you can see which states there are five states that are all paperless you can see which ones those are you can see which states are mixed. You can see which states are all paper states, which states are vote by mail states. You can you can also dig down and find out what's the situation in your uh, where you live. Um, and you can also there are other there's other spots on the website where you can read about different uh, types of voting machines, different vendors. You can find out about internet voting. You can also find out we have an, uh, a link for auditing. You can find out does your state do a post election ballot audit? If so, what's it like? Is, does it make sense or not? Is it a real uh, audit that could, where you could potentially change the results? I mean, for example, in Virginia, they, they have an audit law which is so bad. I mean, they make it almost impossible to do an audit. But then on top of that, 
they don't let you do it until the results have been certified. So you can do an audit, but if the results were originally wrong, tough luck. I mean, that just, that just makes no sense to me. And, and so we have to change that. We have to change that. All right. One more thing is, is there, if we want to go take it one step further, if we want to go beyond uh, donating money, which I encourage everyone to do, uh, should we contact our representatives? Should, are there, how should, how can we be effective um, citizens and making our voices heard? Well, if there's, first of all, find out what's going on in your state. If your state is one of these states which still has paperless machines, start pushing your legislators immediately to do something about it because there's, there's just no excuse for it, no justification. And again, even if money is an issue, uh, there's a possibility that they could, could buy uh, not great, but um, used optical scan systems uh, from states that are moving to other systems. There are some on the market. Colorado, for example, is selling all its old optical scan systems. So this would be a way, a relatively inexpensive way to at least junk these touchscreen machines and replace them with something which is better, not as good as it should be, but better. And at least where you can do a recount if you have to. So that's one thing they should do. They should check their states, check their localities, and and push as hard as they can to get their states to do the right things. Now, if their state has paper, they should also check and find out what kind of audits they have. And if the audits aren't really as adequate for uh, checking the results of the election, uh, then they should, um, again, start pushing their legislators to change their audit laws uh, or their recount laws, too. I mean, there's some of the recount laws that are totally insane um, and designed to prevent recounts. Um, so if, if they happen to be to live in one of the few states, which is almost perfect, and there are, I don't know how many there are, if any, um, they, you know, help the rest of us. What can I say? Yep. I mean, it's, um, there's just so much to be done. Uh, there's so much work to be done. And the, and the, the stakes are so incredibly high and we don't have much time. We just don't have a lot of time. We've just got to fix this. And, uh, you know, we've been, there, there've been some wonderful, dedicated activists at, you know, not only at verified voting, but at various states working on their states. I mean, there's some, there are people out there you just wouldn't believe who, who, you know, put in huge amounts of pro bono time, even though, you know, they're barely scraping by on their own because they care so much about our democracy. And I've seen it. I mean, they're just, they're, they're just real heroes. And, um, you know, we all need as much help as we can get and, and spread the word. I mean, write op-eds, uh, that's a really good thing to do. Um, you, you know, verified voting is a good source of information. You know, we need to get we need to get people involved in in saving our democracy because that's really what this is about. Absolutely, thank you very much, uh, Barbara. It's been great talking to you today. Thanks for all the information. Uh, I think a lot of people take this stuff for granted, and we just absolutely cannot. There's just nothing more basic and fundamental to a democracy than how we vote, and it uh, the way we're voting in this country in many places is just broken. So, thank you very much for talking to us today and all the info. And uh, I encourage all of our listeners out there to send you guys some money to fight the good fight. Thank you so very much. truly amazing, folks, is something so fundamental to a democracy is so easy to mess up. And we're just not doing it right in so many places in this country. And it makes it hard for any, this completely crosses party lines. This is not something we should be fighting about. We should all be fighting together to make sure that our voting and our elections are safe, sound, auditable, and fair, and leaves no room for question. 
we absolutely must not question the legitimacy of our elections, if nothing else. We may not like who gets elected, but we've got to know that they were elected fair and square. All right, now it's time for our tip of the week, and I've got a pretty simple one for you this week, and that is cover up your webcams. Now, you may have heard about this. In fact, there's some classic news stories about Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook, uh, a picture showing him with a little cover over his webcam. Uh, I think it was James Comey said he basically did the same thing. And you got to be wondering, really, do I really need to cover my webcams? Well, you know, do you want somebody watching you when you're not when you're not expecting it? It's easy to do. So just cover your webcam. So there's two things you need to to, to realize. First of all, it is possible uh, if you happen to get the wrong piece of malware on your computer that they can turn on your camera without turning on the little light that indicates that the camera is on and record the video and send it off to somewhere else. This is being done, actually. I'm not sure it's particularly common, but it does happen. Uh, the other thing you might have realized if you've got that little, you know, web enabled baby monitor or doggy cam or uh, something else, some other security cam that's in your house is plugged in. A lot of those cameras, unfortunately, don't have great security either. And if they get infected, they can also be commandeered to send your video uh, out onto the web. And in fact, there's even a there's even a web search engine specifically for unprotected webcams. And you can go there right now. It's called Shodan, S-H-O-D-A-N. Go check that out and look for the webcams. You can you'll find random webcams all over the world where you can just kind of peek in. So the way you get around this is the simple way to do this. Is just get yourself a sticky note. That's the, Whether it's your laptop or um, your computer, if you're iMac, if it's got a built-in webcam, just take a little sticky note and just put it over the camera. You can take it off whenever you want, put it right back on, it stays. Uh, you can actually get fancier webcam covers. If you go to Amazon or something like that, you can search on it. You can find them there as well. Uh, and some of those are nicer. Um, the only thing I would, uh, one caveat I give you is that for laptops, if you're not careful, uh, sometimes even though they, the most of them are trying to be really thin, sometimes they're not thin enough and they'll, st- they'll still kind of uh, keep your laptop from closing 100%. But they're cheap. You can give one a try and see how it works. Uh, but again, worst case, just carry around a few of those little tiny sticky notes and put a sticky note over it. Uh, if it's a plug-in webcam, it's like if it's like one of the cameras that you have at the house, I would just recommend unplugging it when you're not using it. If you're going to go on vacation or if you're going to go into the office for the day and you want to be able to check in on the on the, on the dogs or uh, if you go on vacation you want to be able to check in on the house, plug it in then. Set a little note for yourself whenever you go on vacation to do so, and then when you get back home, unplug it. So that's it. Very simple. Tip of the week. Cover those webcams. And now it's time, as promised, to tell you how you could win a free copy of my book, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, with all sorts of great tips in it, over 100 tips with uh, step-by-step instructions and pictures, and a little bit of prose telling you why you need to do it, but you can skip all that if you really want to. They'd have, uh, you can go straight to the checklist and just start marking them off. So, if you'd like a free copy, uh, we're going to be doing another one of our Castle Defense 101 uh, shows coming up soon on backups and why you should be backing up everything on your computer and uh, how to do that. And what I'm looking for are people to tell me their backup horror stories or maybe their success stories. Tell me about a case where, you know, you lost all your all your family photos because you didn't back them up. Or uh, maybe you thought you finally did get around to backing those things up and it was right before you dropped your phone, phone in the toilet and it saved your butt. I want to hear about those stories, and the most interesting one I will read on the air, and that person will also get a free digital copy of my book, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. So send me your stories. That's Carrie Parker at AmericaOutloud.com. Send those to me. I will read through them, and when the time comes for that next one, I will read the winner on the air and send you that free copy of the book. And I'd like to thank Barbara Simons from Verified Voting one last time. She uh, came with some really great and very important information for us about our democracy. Uh, Please send those guys some money. They're doing some great work. 
That's verifiedvoting.org. You can, of course, find that link on the website with the show as well. And uh, Hover.com. If you've got a domain name that you'd like to get registered, you can get 10% off your order just by going to Hover.com slash firewalls. Do that soon. Make sure you get that discount locked in. And that's going to do it for this week. I will see you again next week. And until then, as always, don't get caught with your drawbridge down. <laughs>